the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. If we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. This great nation will endure as it has endured. Let me assert my firm belief that the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. Freedom and the dignity of the individual have been more available and assured here than in any other place on earth. You are about to embark upon the great crusade toward which we have striven these many months. The eyes of the world are upon you. The hopes and prayers of liberty-loving people everywhere march with you. We're not, as some would have us believe, doomed to an inevitable decline. I do not believe in a fate that will fall on us no matter what we do. I do believe in a fate that will fall on us if we do nothing. And so, my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. From every mountainside, let freedom ring, and if America is to be a great nation, this must become true. So let freedom ring. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. This is Always Right Radio on AM 1420, The Answer. Here's your host, Bob France. Yes, indeed it is, and a good morning to you. It is nine minutes after the hour of nine o'clock as we get rolling on this Wednesday. It's the 19th morning of the 10th month of the year of our Lord, 2022. We've got a big show for you. It's an important show as we are now under three weeks away, one day less than three weeks away from saving our country. And it literally is about the survival of our country. Do not misunderstand. Do not underestimate what that means. Coming up on the program in a half an hour, we're going to talk to Jim Jordan. Congressman Jordan is one of the fighters on behalf of this country. We need a whole bunch of people like him in Congress, more people like him in Congress. We're going to talk to him about a whole host of issues as we now are 20 days away from the midterm. So that's at 935. We're going to talk to Marshall Usher. Who's Marshall Usher? Well, he might be your next governor. Not bloody likely, but he might be. He is a write-in candidate. He's trying to give people an option. People like me, maybe people like you, who cannot stomach the thought of rewarding Mike DeWine for what he did to all of us in this state with another term, but of course would never cast a vote for someone like Nan Whaley. Marshall Usher is a write-in option for governor that I think you need to hear from. 
And uh, we're going to have that conversation at 1035. And then, of course, at 1110 on Wednesdays, we talk to our friend Jack Windsor from the Ohio Press Network and from the State House as our State House correspondent. So we got three big guests, Jim Jordan, Marshall Usher, Jack Windsor, going to be a part of the show. And we want you to be a part of the show. Speaking of the show, we need to get it started. I've got a lot of audio that you need to hear and a lot of important information in the monologue. So let's start with our pledge, patriots. Stand and face your flag. Put your hand on your heart. If you don't have a flag nearby, I'm confident you can close your eyes and imagine one. But join us for our Pledge of Allegiance. If you believe in spending down your 401k, when you're low on money, rather than, you know, getting a job and working and earning new money, well, then you're a believer in Biden spending down the Strategic Petroleum Reserve instead of, you know, drilling for new oil. Because that's exactly what he is doing in a lame attempt to buy more votes. And if that's who you are, well, then you really don't understand this flag anyway. You are exempted from the request. You are not denied, of course. You are free to do so, but you are exempted from the request to stand and pledge your allegiance to that flag. You may instead take a knee next to your favorite ex-quarterback. As for the rest of us... I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. As part of his pledge, Joe Biden's pledge, to destroy the fossil fuel industry, which, just in case you didn't know, it was an absolute pledge. Would there be any place for fossil fuels, including coal and fracking, in a Biden administration? No, we would, we, would, we would work it out. We would make sure it's eliminated. No more drilling on federal lands. No more drilling, including offshore. No ability for the oil industry to continue to drill, period. I guarantee you. We're going to end fossil fuel. What about, say, stopping fracking and stopping yes. new pipeline infrastructure? Yes. New pipeline. And, and, exactly. and, and. No more, no new fracking. We are going to get rid of fossil fuels. That pledge was not an idle threat. That is exactly what Biden has spent the first 21 months of his uh, term doing, killing and crushing, at least attempting to, the entire fossil fuel industry and has manifested itself in record high gas prices. All-time high gas prices back in June, still extraordinarily high gas prices right now that are crippling Americans' middle-class budgets. So as part of that, what he has done just to try to make sure there isn't a full-on national revolt so that we, because if we had to continue paying over five bucks a gallon, and by the way, there's no guarantee that we won't have to continue doing that if we don't take over the midterm or the uh, uh, Congress in the midterms. But um, as, as a part of that, and to avoid a revolt of us having to pay over five dollars a gallon, he has been releasing a million barrels a day from the Strategic Petroleum Reserve. The Strategic Petroleum Reserve is supposed to be reserved for emergencies, wartime use, in the event that our actual access to energy and to oil is completely cut off. Well, that is not now. It is being cut off by choice because I guarantee you we're going to destroy the fossil fuel industry. No more oil drilling at all. That was his pledge. Now he's upping the ante three weeks away from an absolute devastating whitewashing, a red wave, a red tidal wave tsunami, call it what you want, that is going to destroy his party's uh, power in Congress. He's upping the ante. 
He's now going to release, the announcement's coming today, another 10 to 15 million barrels of oil from the Strategic Petroleum Reserve, hoping that that sudden flash of new oil on the market will immediately drop prices from today's national average of 385 a gallon. Of course, that national average is just the national average. Many states suffering at much higher prices. Arizona's average today, 443. California, 594. Holy goodness. Idaho, 439. Illinois, 430. Indiana, $4.03. Uh, the numbers are just staggering. Uh, Montana, $4.05. Um, 396. No, I'm sorry, that's 69 in New Jersey. 372 in New Mexico. I mean, I could just go on and on here. 520 in Oregon. I'm just scrolling here, so I'm kind of grabbing them as I go. Washington, 517. Obviously, out west, it is much, much higher. In Ohio, we're sitting right now with a with an average for a tank of gas at 376. Nationally, 385 is the number. That number was 239 when Donald Trump left office. It's now 385, and it's not an accident. It's intentional, as I played for you. Now he wants to, just three weeks away, less than three weeks away, have a sudden dip. He wants to have a sudden dip in the price from 385, maybe knocking it down to under 3.5 or down to 3.30. It's, I don't think it's possible to do, personally, but that's what the goal is by just flooding the market with 15 million barrels, boom, in one fell swoop. The oil reserves are currently at the lowest level we've had since 1984, as I said, which puts us in severe jeopardy in the event that we were to have to go on wartime footing. Since Biden's historic oil releases to bring down the cost in an attempt to curry favor with voters who are just disgusted by him and his party, the OPEC nations announced their decision to cut oil production by 2 million barrels a day. The Biden administration expressed their disappointment with that decision, after he went personally to Saudi Arabia, had an hand saying, please lower the prices. Please lower the prices, because if you don't, I might actually have to drill on North American soil. I might actually have to green light drilling in Anwar again. We have to start start uh, drilling again in uh, in the Gulf. I might have to actually allow fracking to happen again. I mean, don't make me do this. My green, my gang green base will kill me politically for this. So the Saudis sent him away, like, okay. Uh, don't worry, Mr. President. We'll see what we can do for you. Uh, a little bit of, uh, about a month later, they're basically saying, no, nah, we're cutting. We're cutting the production by $2 million. Not only are we not raising it, or we're not keeping it the same, we're not raising it, we're going to cut it by $2 million. So what does all of this mean? Why is Joe Biden now suddenly releasing another 10 to 15 bar- million barrels from the Strategic Petroleum Reserve? Let's ask Karina Jean-Pierre. She's the president's press secretary, who's black and gay. Did you know she was black and gay? It's important that you know she's black and gay, because it was important to the Biden administration when they introduced her to tell you that she's black and she likes to sleep with women. She's black and she's gay. That That's a big part of her job qualifications. That's the only reason I make sure you know it, because the White House wanted you to know it. And here's what Corrine Jean-Pierre said. Do you have any response to those who would say, who are criticizing the White House, saying that this seems like a ploy ahead of the midterms? Look, the president... I would say this to to folks, Um, should the president not do everything that he can to lower prices? Uh, Should he not continue to keep his promise to give American people a little bit of breathing room? You know, that's the promise that he's made. Should he not do that? 
And so that's what you're seeing right now. Uh, this is something that he has done throughout the summer. Uh, this is something that he has done uh, to address Putin's price hike. Uh, and this is something that he has done to meet the global challenges uh, that are in front of us. There it is. It's the Putin price hike. Remember, when prices go up, it's Putin's fault. When the prices start to slide, it's Biden's uh, incredible uh, brilliance. And, of course, he has done absolutely nothing to lower the prices organically. He has only lowered them artificially through this release of our petroleum reserve. Again, the best example that I can give you is do you have two accounts in your primary bank? Most people... And it's not to cast dispersions at anybody who doesn't, but if you have a checking account for your, you know, your monthly needs and so on and so forth to pay your bills, et cetera, then there's also a savings account. And I'm, I'm going to step away from the 401k thing for a second and just simplify it. You got a checking account, you got a savings account. What Biden is doing right now, rather than getting a job and putting more money into his checking account that he can use to pay his bills, he is just taking money out of his savings account. And it's getting lower and lower and lower and lower to the point where there is now no cushion whatsoever, no room for error. Now you're month to month and you've got nothing saved up for the future, nothing for a rainy day, nothing for a retirement, nothing for any needs that you might have, unexpected medical bills or anything else that might come, might come down the line. He's spending our savings account instead of actually putting more money into the checking account. And in this case, of course, I'm talking about drilling and fracking, and expanding coal leases, and so forth. Instead of maximizing the full American power in fossil fuels, maximizing the effort to produce more energy domestically, he is spending down our savings instead, and then blaming that on Putin. But now let's listen to a little bit more insanity. Karine Jean-Pierre, the president's press secretary, she's she's black and she's gay. Make sure you check that off. Those two boxes have to be checked so you know who you're listening to here. They want you to know she's black and she's gay. She's also quite stupid. Listen to her brag about falling gas prices at a time in which the American people are paying nearly record high gas prices. Gas prices have fallen by a dollar and fifteen cents from their peak. Uh, which was not too long ago. The 98 consecutive day decline this summer was the fastest in over a decade. I got to just stop each where each point she makes because the insanity and the stupidity, which are kind of married together here, deserve response. She's bragging about how they have fallen from their peak, as if the peak was not the responsibility of the of the uh, president and the policies of the president. Gas went from two thirty nine a gallon when Trump left office to five dollars and three cents a gallon at the peak, which was indeed under Biden's watch. They want you to think that the peak happened under somebody else's watch. Then Biden came in and took over and started lowering the costs. Every month, the typical two driver family saves about a hundred hundred and twenty dollars uh, at the pump compared to where we were in mid June. And whose responsibility was where we were in mid June? Everyday Americans uh, Americans save about $420 million at the pump compared to uh, mid-June. Again, why were the prices five oh three a gallon in mid-June? And why are you talking about us saving money from that point rather than how much more money we're spending since January 20th of 2021, the day Joe Biden assumed the presidency?
Now, gas prices are falling again, just to give you a little bit more of uh, stats there. The average retail price is down by five cents over the last week. The average retail price right now today, according to AAA, is three eighty-five a gallon. The average retail price of a gallon of gasoline when Joe Biden took office was two thirty-nine a gallon. Now, I don't need to take out my calculator to do this math. Um, if you subtract two thirty nine from three eighty five, you get a dollar forty six. Americans are paying one forty six more per gallon right now than they did when President Trump left office. Give us those numbers, Kareen. Give us those numbers. Do the math that you did to tell us that the typical two driver family is saving one hundred and twenty dollars at the pump compared to where we were in mid June. Tell us how much more the average two-driver family is spending since your boss took over. I dare you. I double-dog dare you. Do that math and tell us exactly how much more we're paying because of your boss's policies and your boss's pledge. Remember that. He pledged. You don't have to agree, but I want you to look in my eyes. I guarantee you, I guarantee you, we're going to end fossil fuel and... That is what your boss pledged to do, and that's what he's doing. So I want you to do the rest of the math there, Kareen, if you can do the math. You know who's really good at math? Andy Puzder is good at math. Andy Puzder uh, was on Fox News yesterday explaining the reality of why we are where we are and what Biden's strategic petroleum reserve release really means. Joe Biden sells oil from the strategic petroleum reserve. What do you think he sells it for? He doesn't give it away. He doesn't sell it at cost. President Trump bought it very inexpensively. He sells it at the market price. And the reason that he's trying to flood the market with oil before the election Mm -hmm. is because he knows the problem is supply. It's exactly what this gentleman said. Oil is priced on a worldwide market. Biden knows that. He knows if he increases supply, the price will come down. But he won't approve pipelines. He won't approve leases. They won't grant permits to drill. I mean, this is a nonsensical approach and a patently political approach to a problem that's really causing people to be unable to go where they want to go, take their kids where they want to take them, get to work, afford to go to work. And if you look at uh, synthetic fertilizers, which are based on natural gas, you have to have right. natural gas. Well, 3 to 3.5 billion people in the world depend on synthetic fertilizers to eat. Yep. That's half the world's population. So th- this, is a, this is a crisis, and he's trying to address it with... Uh, I don't know, with uh, with uh, paper clips and, you know, the way you used to work on your engine when you were a kid, anything you could do to get it to work, when it could really solve the problem here, and he refuses to do so. Refuses to do so. Exactly right. Andy Puzder is a uh, a multimillionaire, former CEO of CKE uh, Restaurants. He is uh, a brilliant economist as well, and he is telling the truth. He is telling you what the Biden administration will not tell you that this is completely 100% policy-driven madness and not Putin's price hike. Uh, Biden is desperate. He's got 20 days until he loses his majority on November 8th, and he's doing everything he can, now releasing 15 million more barrels from the savings account, if you will, in order to try to stop the shellacking that is on the way. It's 925, Always Right Radio on AM 1420, The Answer. So just quickly before the bottom of the hour, don't forget, I got Jim Jordan coming up on the other side. Another example of Biden's just complete meltdown as the polls get worse and worse and the 
Republican majority grows larger and larger, at least according to what the anticipated outcomes are going to be in the November 8th elections. He's trying to stanch the flow of, uh, of, of, of uh, blood, if you will, from the Democrats by appealing to the party of death, by appealing to the pro-death movement that has taken over the Democrat Party. Originally, his... Press Secretary Karine Jean-Pierre, the one who's black and gay, uh, said uh, told told us that his top priority in the new term uh, at uh, the start of 2023 is going to be inflation and the economy. Now that has changed. Biden has now announced yesterday that if he is able to retain the majority in the House and gain a seat or two in the Senate, his first action will not be to do to work on inflation or the economy. It will be to codify Roe versus Wade. That's right. Thinking that maybe the best way to turn the tide away from the Republicans and that red tidal wave that is coming, maybe I'll just appeal to my party's real fascination and love for killing babies. I'm going to codify Rose so that we can kill babies until our hearts are content. That's what I'm going to do. Your right to choose rests with you, Biden said. If you do your part and vote, Democratic leaders of Congress, I promise you we'll do our part. I'll do my part, and with your support, I'll sign a law codifying Roe in January. So here's the strategy now. Now you see it. The strategy is... I'm going to sell off our savings account for in the Strategic Petroleum Reserve to get, drop the price of gas down by a few nickels between now and November 8th. And I'm going to tell everybody, we'll kill more babies starting in January. And we'll do it on a, at a record rate. It's going to be phenomenal. The blood going to be a-flowing, man. The Planned Parenthood clinics are going to be cha-chinging, cha-chinging all over this country because women's health care. And maybe that will get my Democratic base out enough to vote and stop that red tidal wave. How about that for strategy? We'll talk about it with you at 216-901-0945. We'll talk about it with Jim Jordan next after the news on Always Right Radio, AM 1420, The Answer. Against the darkness of tyranny. Always right radio with Bob France and the answer. Okay, 937. Now we continue. AM 1420, the answer. Let's welcome Congressman Jim Jordan back to the program, Ohio's fourth congressional representative, district representative. He is also the ranking member of the House Judiciary Committee. Good morning, Congressman. How are you? I'm fine, Bob. Good to be with you. Good to be with you as well. You know, when there is a cacophony of stupidity all around us, sometimes uh, sometimes the thing we need to start our day is a little joke. So i got a little joke. Is it okay if I tell you a joke? Sure. Okay, here it is. Sure. But in some cases, there's no substitute for experience, and I think that what we have been through with the legislation under the leadership of President Biden, who has done a spectacular job, he's had a better two years than most uh, presidents that you can name, certainly in the recent generations. Uh, (laughs) Isn't that that the funniest thing you've ever heard, that Joe Biden has had a better two years than most presidents can name, you can name, especially in recent generations? How about that for a laugher? Well, it is is totally crazy. I mean, uh, we've talked about it all the time, but we have a 41-year high inflation rate. We have record crime. We have $5 gas just a few months ago, and it's on its way back up, it unfortunately looks. 
uh, like it's, it's headed back up. And then, of course, we have no border, not to mention um, what what's what's happened to your First Amendment, Second Amendment. I mean, it's on and on it goes. So uh, I just the country gets it, though, Bob. I've been traveling and, and you're I'm not talking to people and they they understand how bad it's gotten under Joe Biden and Democrats running the federal government. And it's all happened in 20, 21 months. Um, yeah. So I think I think in 20 days, uh, you know, we talk about this all the time, but I do think in 20 days, things are moving in a direction where, where the country is going to make a big change. I want to get your thoughts on the explanation offered by the press secretary for the president's announcement coming today that he's going to release another 10 to 15 million barrels of oil from the Strategic Petroleum Reserve. In response to those who would say, who are criticizing the White House, saying that this seems like a ploy ahead of the midterms? Look, the president, I would say to this to, to folks, um, should the president not do everything that he can to lower prices? Uh, should he not continue to keep his prime promise to give American people a little bit of breathing room? Congressman, would you like to answer well, that question? Well, he should do everything he could, which is like letting us drill for oil here in the United States, letting the permits happen, build the pipeline, all those things that were, were, were taking place under President Trump when we were energy independent versus doing something stupid like this. I mean, this is just – where's the common sense? Like, we, we, we get this, but – it's like when uh, uh, she was asked a question, I think, last week, uh, the, the press secretary was asked a question, um, when is the Inflation Reduction Act going to actually start reducing inflation? And, I, I, you know, she couldn't answer it because of the, this is how crazy this administration is. We're going to spend tr- trillions of dollars. We're going to spend all kinds of money, and somehow that's going to help inflation. We know it did. We're, we're, we're going we're gonna to cut off drilling in the United States, but we're going to release uh, oil from the Strategic Reserve, and that's going mean, to – it just it makes no sense, their policies. Um, and, again, I, I always come back to it. The, the, the American people understand it. They get it. The American people are smart. They have common sense, and they understand what's going on here. And that's why I think they're going to make a change. Congressman, um, on day one, one would think that, that, that maybe the top priority in the, in the next Congress and in January, in the year three of the, of the Biden administration term, that the economy and inflation, which are the things that Americans are most concerned about, would, would be his top order of business. But he said yesterday at a campaign event for somebody or another that he's trying to cripple yeah. their, their chances, he said this. The first bill that I will send to the Congress will be to codify Roe v. Wade. Not lower inflation, not do anything to uh, uh, open up uh, the full resources of American energy, all of the things that you just described, uh, not deal with the border. Nope. The first thing he's going to do is try to make it uh, perfectly legal nationwide to kill more babies than ever before. Can you explain that? No, you can't. And, it, and it's, it's kind of sad that it's, it's, you know, his, his, he's focused so much on the taking of, of unborn children's lives. I mean, it's just like, I, I don't, I don't get that. Um, but that's what they're talking about. Uh, they're talking about that. And as we've, as we've discussed before, they're talking about January 6th because they can't talk about all the other things that they've, that they've done so badly and so wrong. Um, but yeah, it doesn't, doesn't make sense uh, in, in any way. But you know, if we, if we win the majority, leader McCarthy's already said the first thing we're going to pass is we're going to get rid of the, uh, we're going to get, we're going to get rid of the 87,000 IRS agents. We're going to pass that out of the House now. Joe Biden will veto it, but but we're going to pass that because the, the eighty-seven thousand IRS agents who are going to come harass we the people, we the taxpayers. We know what what that's going to be. That's going to be our first bill. Um, and, and here here the Democrats are talking about 
uh, taking the lives of, of unborn children. Yeah, and, and of course, calling it health care. Um, and, and we can go on and on about that, which, of course, the American people are. Let me pivot um, to to something else. Because um, I mentioned he's not going to talk about uh, illegal immigration. That's not going to be one of his first actions. But it was important enough for him to get involved in El Paso, Texas, where the White House apparently pressured the Democrat mayor of El Paso, who has sent more than 10,000 illegal alien border crossers from El Paso to New York City, by the way, more than Greg Abbott has done as the governor of the yeah. state of Texas. But the Democratic yeah. mayor of El Paso was on the verge of, of issuing an emergency declaration and asking for federal funds because they can't deal with the crushing overflow of illegals coming yeah. into the city's shelters and housed in hotels and so forth. But the mayor, Oscar Leeser, admitted during a private phone conversation last month that has been released that he was directed by the Biden administration not to make that declaration. Why? Well, the same reason uh, we're going to release 15 million more barrels. The same reason we're going to say we're going to allow Democrats to kill more babies because it's going to get more votes if we don't have this uh, spotlight on this, uh, you know, the, the devastation that is happening in El Paso. Yeah. And the same reason Joe Biden was talking to the Saudis saying, don't, don't decrease oil production before the, I mean, it's all politics for these folks trying to do anything and everything they can to make up for the terrible decisions and terrible things that they have done to the country over the last couple of years uh, when, when it comes to the border and inflation and crime and, and, and energy. So yeah, this is just how they operate. Um, but I, 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 again, the, the country has figured this out. They know it. They know that there is no longer border. They know that the Biden administration is doing this intentionally. They know that the, the folks in charge of this government. Again, Bob, I remember when uh, Mayorkas, when we asked him the question about the 42, at that time, it's up to 70-some now, but the 42 individuals who came across as illegal migrants who were on the terrorist watch list, and we asked him what the status was, and he said, I don't know. You hear the Thinking Secretary of Homeland Security, you're supposed to know the answer to that question when you're in front of a congressional committee, particularly the one that has primary jurisdiction over immigration policy, the Judiciary Committee. But he couldn't even answer the question uh, in, in that hearing. So this is how bad they are and how political they are doing anything and everything they can to try to save their tails as we head into this election. But it's not going to work because the country understands how bad they are, and they are going to send a message, I think, on November 8th. Two more issues for you, Congressman Jim Jordan, Ohio 4, uh, ranking member of the House Judiciary Committee. Um, there's so many things if you become the chairman of the Judiciary Committee that um, I, I want you to start investigating. I have people offering me lists, telling me, tell Jordan to investigate this. Um, but but I want to talk about an investigation that appears to have faltered completely. Denchenko is the latest uh, uh, yeah. member of the, of, of the collusion to try to accuse and prove that Donald Trump was guilty of collusion. Uh, this, of course, course, is the Steele dossier, uh, uh, which was, of course, presented uh, by the, to the FISA court in order to get a warrant to spy on the Trump administration, or the Trump campaign, rather, and then into the administration. Um, he was acquitted, Danchenko was. The Durham investigation yeah. appears to be a flat-out disaster. It's three years on, and no one is being held accountable for that dossier and for the election interference. No, and that's disappointing. Uh, look, and I, I, I share the frustration I think that the American people have because, you know, Andy McKay, Peter Strzok, that no one was ever held accountable. Klein Smith was prosecuted, but he's got his law license back. He basically got a, a slap on the wrist for lying to the secret court, the FISA court. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, yeah, I think probation. we're all disappointed. Yeah, exactly. I think we're all disappointed in that. But I, I will say this, and maybe this was, you know, someone suggested this was what Durham was set out to do. Um, even though he didn't get any convictions on Zussman or Danchenko, 
he did tell us we, we learned some some unbelievable things about the FBI. We learned that they were they were willing to pay. They offered a million dollars to Christopher Steele if he could validate the dossier, even though they'd already used the dossier to get the FISA warrant. Like th- th- this is how how wrong uh, th- th- this this organization has become. So we learned that fact. We a person who testified to that last week in this trial was this individual, Mr. Brian Auten. This is the same guy who whistleblowers have told Senator uh, Grassley's office, who was part of the operation to suppress the Hunter Biden story two years ago this month, right before the most important election we have, the election for president of the United States. So we, we've learned some valuable information about how bad the FBI is. And when you couple all that with what, what we've learned from, from agents who've come to us as whistleblowers, it just underscores how bad this place, how political this place has, has actually turned out to be. So um, we did get some valuable information, but but you're right. No one seems to be held accountable. Congressman, last thing I've got for you, and I'm really disgusted to hear all of the things you just said. Yeah, we may have learned a lot of things because of this investigation, but if nobody's held accountable, then what's the point? Uh, no one will ever be deterred from doing things like that in the future uh, unless there are, unless heads roll. Uh, last thing I want to talk to you about is this is a report by Alex Berenson uh, this morning. It was shared with me early this morning, and I'm glad. The CDC Advisory Committee, Vaccine Advisory Committee, is supposed to be meeting today uh, in which they will discuss adding COVID-19 shots to the standard child immunization schedule that every kid is going to have to take this shot in order to get into schools the way they are now with all of the other uh you know polio and other other vaccines that they have to take um parents of young children have rejected the shots almost completely barely two percent of children under five and this is a good thing um and fewer than one in three from age five to eleven have been fully immunized states that required them for school would lead to a massive parental pushback and this is quoting alex now and quite likely destroy their public education systems. I want your thoughts on that, Congressman, but then also Part B. The federal public health emergency declaration that is now in place protects Pfizer and the other vaccine manufacturers from being sued over any side effects. This is the primary reason the declaration was extended uh, days ago, despite the lack of any evidence that COVID is causing even minor stress on the medical system. So I'm using Alex's words there because they're, they're perfect questions here. Mm-hmm. Um, is this why they're going to try to push these shots on every child and make it a part of the normal protocols for early childhood vaccinations and immunizations? Because if they pull them, they're going to admit that they don't work and that the uh, um, uh, the dangers of these shots for children yeah. is too great, uh, and the and the, and the uh, big pharma companies are going to be in serious trouble. Well, here's my main takeaway: is I don't think parents are going to put up with it. You know, the, the last time Democrats and, and and the left tried to tell parents that government was smarter than moms and dads, uh, they wound up causing Glenn Young to be, uh, Glenn Youngkin to be elected governor of the state of, of Virginia, a blue state. So I don't think parents are going to tolerate it. Government, government comes along and says, oh, no, no, we're, we're smarter than you, moms and dads. You, here's what you should do. Here's when it comes to your kids and parents say, no, 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 no. We know our kids' name. We care about our kids. We're going to decide. Uh, and, and that played out in a big way in Virginia, uh, a year ago. I don't think parents are going to tolerate this. Um, Look, I'm not I'm not against the vaccine and people. I think it's helped people who who did it. But I think I think we should leave this up to uh, individuals to decide. And certainly parents uh, and and the evidence seems to suggest now in a rather strong way that that young people, certainly children, do not need this uh, based on what what I've seen. So I don't think it's going to fly. I think moms and dads are going to say, no way. Don't be telling us what's best for our kids. We'll figure that out on our own. 
What about the what about the protection of Pfizer though and and Moderna and the other companies because they they don't have protection from prosecution over or or civil liability right. over right. over um, uh, side effects from these vaccines unless there is still a public health emergency declaration when that declaration goes away they can't have protection anymore unless there's what I don't know is it an act is it a, a legislative act um, because Pfizer, to, Pfizer, yeah, Pfizer because and Moderna are not going to sell these without liability protection because they know what they're doing to a lot of people. I, I do. I'd have to check because I do think there may be something else in place that gives them some protection. I have to. I want to. I want to double check that. Um, but this is this whole this whole area that this this that you know this idea that we have kicked people out of the military, this idea that there's, there's, this, there's all kinds of things that have to be examined relative to this virus, not to mention what we just learned this weekend, that there's some, some research done in Boston where they've now yeah. in a lab created something that looks even more dangerous than, than the, the current COVID virus. I mean, what is going on? That certainly looks like gain-of-function research done right here, which is not supposed to happen. So I think there's all kinds of things that have to be examined. The biggest one is the idea that we can't meet our recruiting standards in our military now because we're kicking people out uh, who've been trained, men and women who, who are willing to serve our country, put their lives on the line, been trained at, at you know millions of dollars cost of training, and we're going to kick them out because of, of this vaccine issue? Makes no sense. And they should be allowed to come back into the military, full back pay. Th- th- that's something we should we should focus on doing. In Congress, and even if it means holding up the National Defense Authorization Act to get that 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 legislation that that change made, we should do it. So there are a number of issues that need to be uh, addressed. Yeah, it, you know, it, it affects those military personnel, as you pointed out, and military readiness too, but also civilians. Anybody working for the federal government or a contractor, yeah, yeah. and you know, you know who else is students? Because you know, public universities have kicked unvaccinated students off the of campus, telling them you can only study remotely. You cannot come onto our campus, be a part of our our uh, you know our our culture and our population, and so on and so forth, unless you have this. So this just continues. And again, if they are so confident in their belief and in their 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 propaganda campaign for the last two years that these vaccines are nothing but safe and effective, then they shouldn't need yeah. this protection, this they civil protection from liability, liability right? right? I mean, they, I mean, that's the bottom line. If they are so confident in that, exactly. they shouldn't need exactly. this, and therefore it shouldn't be required any, on anybody either. So I, I hope that there's something you can do or look into legislatively, again, because this is what people, you know, I represent your constituents to a degree because a lot of them call me and say, can you please ask this? Sure. And this is something I really hope we can get an answer to as oh. well because these, uh, you know, for these pharmaceutical companies to be able to sell these shots with complete immunity from any type of liability whatsoever in perpetuity by making them a part of the childhood vaccine and- regimen, that's, that's insanity. Yeah. Yeah, and Bob, and how and how about the, the the million dollars in royalties Fauci got, and the fact that you know everyone else that I know look, looks at your retirement plan, looks at your four hundred one k, and everyone's went down because of Joe Biden's economy. Except Fauci's net net worth went up uh, millions of dollars during this virus. Um, that's something else that just I think frosts every uh, every American and, yeah. and needs to be examined. I posted as well. about this a couple of days ago. The average retirement account is down twenty five percent in their four hundred one ks. And I have I have an I yep. I had a four hundred one k that I rolled into an IRA a couple of years ago. That's uh, a few years ago actually, and 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 it is just dying. Uh, I'll never be able to retire at the rate that this is going. And Congressman, worst thing of all, as you pointed out a couple of minutes ago about the eighty seven thousand IRS agents, I guarantee you one of the two or three or five or ten thousand of them are going to snoop. 
into my stuff and see if I made any mistakes in the rollover. And if I did, a 15% penalty. This is what they're doing yep. is coming after middle-class yep. Americans. Sickening. It's sickening. No, it's sickening. Congressman, thank you yeah. so much for the time. Thanks for what you're doing. You and I look forward to talking to you again next you week. You too, Bob. Thank you. Take care. That's Jim Jordan on AM 1420, The Answer. It's 9.54. We'll get this time out. Uh, that leaves me some time for phone calls. As a matter of fact, our next guest isn't until 10.35. So we got all kinds of phone call time now between now and 10.30. So get in line. 216-901-0945-888-281-1110. Always write radio, AM 1420, The Answer. Don't have time to call in? Try the sound off feature on alwaysright.us and make your voice heard. Okay, 957, Always Right Radio on AM 1420, The Answer. Hey, I uh, hope you're coming out tonight. You plan on it? Tonight, uh, I will be addressing the uh, Lakewood West Park Conservative Group. It'll be uh, starting at about 630. It's going to be on Puritus in Cleveland at the Calvin Center Hall, adjacent to the Hungarian Reformed Church out there. I spoke to this group uh, a couple of months back. They're phenomenal people, tremendous conservative patriots who are ready to help us do what needs to be done, and that is save this country. We literally have a nation to save. Our friend Larry Elder used to make that his catchphrase on radio. I think it still is in his current uh, uh, profession, and uh, as he continues to consider, by the way, when he, I interviewed him a couple of weeks ago, and he admitted he is considering a run for the presidency. He is considering a run in the Republican primary in 2023. Uh, leading, of course, up to 2024. So anyway, we do have a nation to save, and I'm going to be speaking tonight <clears throat> to this group. You know who else going to be there? And this is going to be an awful lot of fun. My friend Steve Loomis, the former president of the Cleveland Police Patrolman's Association, current police detective, just a huge, huge supporter of law and order. He's going to be speaking tonight, and you also get a chance to meet Lee Weingart, hopefully the next Cuyahoga County executive. So all of that is coming tonight. I hope you plan on being there. If you want more information, contact Keith Davey at 440-320-6019. Join us tonight as we work to save this country. Back after the news. You and I have a rendezvous with destiny. We'll preserve for our children this, the last best hope of man on earth, or we'll sentence them to take the last step into a thousand years of darkness. Welcome to Always Right Radio with Bob Frantz on AM 1420, The Answer. Hour number two underway now at eight minutes past ten o'clock. We roll onward. It's the 19th morning of the 10th month of the year of our Lord, 2022. Thanks to Jim Jordan. Uh, I'm going to continue that conversation with Jim Jordan um, on the air and off, I think, to talk about, you know, he's got a list probably as tall as he is. And he's not super tall, but that's still a tall list, right? Of things that people want him to investigate the minute he takes over as chair of the House Judiciary Committee. That list is getting longer by the day because of all of the extraordinary things that are happening in this country under the Biden administration. 
And the latest one is this, the one that I asked him about a few moments ago. Alex Berenson reporting on this on his Substack. The CDC Vaccine Advisory Committee is holding a meeting tomorrow, which is today, at which it appears the committee will be uh, discussing adding COVID-19 shots to the standard childhood immunization schedule. It right appears, because I have not confirmed this plan with the agency, but the Federal Register, which is the official government notice for the meetings, reports that, quote, recommendation votes on pneumococcal adult immunization schedule, comma, child-adolescent immunization schedule, and COVID-19 vaccines are scheduled. So these things are on the agenda. Many, says Alex, or writes Alex, of you have emailed suggesting the CDC's move is part of a plan to make the mRNA COVID shots a requirement for public school attendance. And I'll stop there and opine on this. Of course it is. That is exactly what it is. They already have those requirements in public universities. Despite the fact that college-age students are not only not a threat to be hospitalized or die from COVID-19, they get a sniffle and a cold at that young, healthy age, but in fact, people who are between the ages of 18 and 39, we found this out from uh, males 18 to 39 from uh, the Surgeon General of Florida, they're dying from these shots. They're at a much higher rate risk of dying from heart-related illnesses and conditions caused by messenger RNA shots. So they're already doing that to college students. So, of course, the plan is to make it a requirement for public school attendance, just like they tell you you have to have all of your immunizations and shots to go to public school now. Alex continues, parents of young children, however, have rejected these shots almost completely. Barely 2%. You remember the rollout? Remember the rollout of, you know, now uh, kids under the, I think, between the ages of six months and five years can get the COVID shots. Yay! Let's completely destroy the developing immune system of our youngest, most defenseless, outside of the pre-born, citizens. Well, apparently most parents agreed with that logic because barely 2% of them, uh, of parents of children under five, have... Uh, immunize their kids with these ridiculous, unnecessary, and potentially dangerous, potentially lethal shots. Uh, ages 5 to 11, not many more, fewer than 1 in 3. So under 33% of those parents of those kids that age have made them take those jabs. And, of course, we have no idea what the long-term effect is going to be on the young developing body and the young developing immune system because, well, we're only two years from the COVID-19 virus being created in that Wuhan lab and released upon the world. And that's right. I said what I said. That is what happened. It's not accidental. It's not natural. It's not organic. And it didn't come from a bat. It came from a lab, and it was released. I said what I said. At any rate, Alex... Um, opines that parents who are completely rejecting this for the young kids, this would lead to a massive parental pushback and quite literally destroy the public education systems. And I think that's true. I do. Parents are pushing back against the indoctrinations and the uh, CRT and the gender queer ideology theory that is being pushed on all of their kids. All of these things, they're already, re- you know, just, they're, you know, they're just, they're spitting fire. They're so angry already. If they try to make them take these jabs in order to go to kindergarten, um, forget it. 
I, I think I think the pushback would be enormous, and maybe that's what we need. Maybe we should hope that the CDC and the Biden federal government does exactly that, so that we can indeed jumpstart the pushback that is going to retake the the idea, the concept of liberty, and restore that for the American people, for citizens from from age zero. Well, actually, preborn citizens have rights too. They should have the liberty and the freedom to not be dissected, to not be dismembered, to not have holes punch, punched into the back of their heads and their brains sucked out just before delivery. We, we, they should have that, too. So how about from preborn until death? Those liberties should be restored. And maybe this is what it's going to take, this kind of an overreaching uh, authoritarian, authoritarian or totalitarian? Almost totalitarian, if you think about it, uh, assault on our kids. This is why, or I'm sorry, then why make this move, writes Alex Berenson, which is both irrelevant and embarrassing since it throws a spotlight on why parents have rejected these shots for kids. The real answer may be the potential liability over the shots the mRNA uh, companies may soon face. The federal public health emergency declaration that's now in place protects Pfizer and the other vaccine manufacturers from being sued over any side effects, including death, from their shots. This is likely the primary reason the declaration was extended days ago, despite the lack of any evidence that COVID is causing even minor stress now on the medical system. Why? I suspect, writes Alex Berenson, I want to be clear. He says, I suspect, and I want to be clear, that I'm simply guessing that the vaccine companies have told the Biden administration they will not sell the shots without liability protection. Everyone involved at the companies and the White House is fully aware that a withdrawal must be avoid, avoided at all costs. They know how pulling the shots from the marketplace would look. But extending the emergency declaration past its new uh, expiration in, the early, uh, in early 2023 would be absurd. Even the Biden administration's media water carriers have raised a few eyebrows at the extension. The solution is adding the mRNA vaccines to the childhood schedule. Any vaccine on the schedule is also immunized as the broader federal vaccine injury compensation program. Thus, the meeting today. So that's Alex's report. Thank you to Tom Z, by the way, who dropped this in my lap this morning. Uh, I was very glad to get it, although I'm kind of, like I said, a little bit uh, irritated by it. But uh, this is this is quite a devastating piece of news, and I hope that the parental pushback that Alex surmises is going to be the, you know, the the death of all of this is real. I can tell you this: I'll help lead it. I don't have kids in the school system anymore; they're at the college level. But I will tell you this: um, I'm not going to allow other people's kids. I'm going to let me rephrase: I will protect other people's kids in every single way that I can, just as if they were my own. We can't allow this to happen to our country. Liberty and freedom matters, and our kids should not be allowed to be used as guinea pigs, all because big pharmaceutical companies don't want to face the civil liability music. And that's literally what this is all about. And as I said to Congressman Jordan. And I'll say it again now. If Pfizer and Moderna and Big Pharma as a whole truly believed the ads that they've run for two and a half years, that your, your mRNA vaccine is safe and effective, then why would they need that liability protection? They know it's not safe. They know it's not effective. And that's why they have to have that protection. TJ's in Cleveland. Hey, TJ, go ahead, sir. Yeah, Bob, two points I'd like to make. You know, if the taxpayers paid for the oil that went into the strategic reserves, 
Now we're going to have to pay for it again at the pump. I mean, that, that's kind of crazy, isn't it? We're going to yes. pay for the same oil twice. Yeah, that's, you know, pretty, much, that's thing, pretty much accurate, yeah. Yeah, you know, another thing with these uh, mandatory shots for school children. Now, first mm-hmm. of all, I want to say I am against mandatory shots. But the hypocrisy of some of these libtards, you know, when it came to uh, mandatory shots for the military, uh, uh, health care workers, they were all in. But now when it comes to their little darlings, well, I'm not so sure I want to take the chance to get my little darling shot up here. Now, they ought to be all in on this, right? But when it comes to their kids now, all of a sudden they're changing their mind. Well, I, I, don't, I don't know. I don't know. I, I know um, a couple. I think most, I, of the lib parents, most of the lib parents, though, truly bought, bought into this. They did. They bought into the lie about the protection. They bought into the lie uh, uh, about the safety and, eff- and effectiveness. And those are the ones who have, you know, again, what, about a third of them have had their um, kids ages 5 to 11 taking these shots. They're probably just fine with making them mandatory. Not all of them, but a lot of them. No, I'm saying the ones that aren't, you know, that's kind of hi- uh, hypocritical. I mean, it's okay for me to, to mandate me to get a shot, but not little Johnny. They never think these things through. I, I, never, I do know a couple yeah. of parents that are, are, are saying that. They're very left, but, you know, they're not going to take the chance, you know, because of these possible side effects and stuff for their little children. Yeah. Well, you know, well, they they never they never think things. And thank you, TJ, for the call. They never think things through. That's what makes them le- leftists. And as you say, libtards. I try not to use the term libtard too much because it's 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 just courting trouble, and I don't want to do that. Uh, but but it, it's what makes them who they are. Uh, the hypocrisy, and they never think it through, and they never think if we make it mandatory for this, do we have to make it mandatory for that? Oh, no, we can only make it mandatory for some. You know, these are the same idiots um, who decided that, or uh, excuse me, who agreed with Mike DeWine's decision to declare who's essential and who isn't, whose job matters and whose job doesn't, what business matters and what business doesn't. Ah, your business doesn't matter. I don't care what happens to you. It's just all the way down the line. I mean, from that to who is mandated to take these shots. Uh, let's go to our good friend Khalid Namar in Old Brooklyn. Uh, hey, Khalid, how are you, my man? I'm excellent. I'm actually in Brooklyn, which is down the road from Old Brooklyn, but we're all brothers. We're okay. all brothers. It doesn't I matter. I got Old Brooklyn on the screen. <laughs> I got Old Brooklyn on the screen. So you want to you yeah, have bro- a fight with Marianne. I think she'll bring it. Uh, I, you, I love Marianne. Marianne will just bring Listen. the fight to you if you want to have a if you want to have that out about how we got old Brooklyn from Brooklyn. Hey, Khalid, all jokes aside, real quick, I just want to thank you. I thanked you and Peter and Rob uh, uh, on Monday when I came back in, but now that I have you on the phone, uh, thank you for doing a great job as you always do in sitting in for me. It's really, really comforting to know I've got such talent on the bench. Like you say, I always got your back, brother. When you call my number. I'm getting into the game. You know how this goes. We've been doing this for a couple years now. I count on it. Thank you, buddy. So what's up? We got you. Listen, uh, we got Uncle Tom, too, showing uh, tomorrow night at the uh, Atlas Eastgate Theater. And, you know, this is a fundraiser for us with the Thomas Jefferson Knowledge Institute, the American Trinity Project. Uh, As you know, we've been out here talking to kids about the Constitution and the Bill of Rights the last couple of years. I just came back. More than a couple, uh, right? More more than a couple. How many years have you and Dan been doing the uh, Trinity Project and going out there and talking to kids? It's been about five years now. Yeah, I thought so. Because when I first learned of it, it's been more than a couple. When I first learned of it, I was blown away by what you guys are doing. I I remain that way today. So I'm glad to know that you're still, uh, you know, that you guys are still active. So tell me more, more about tomorrow night. Uncle Tom, too, uh, at the uh, Mayfield Heights uh, Atlas Theater. Um, 
you know, we're showing Uncle Tom 2, which is, you know, uh, a follow-up to the first Uncle Tom, which we know was, was outstanding. And it's at, uh, you can get your tickets at Blue Heron Media. Heron is spelled H-E-R-O-N, blueheronmedia.us. Fundraiser for us, again, uh, we are going to be taking this around. We're going to be coming down to Medina. So all the people in Medina, get ready. We're, we're going to be coming down there as well. Uh, we're going to be taking this to different areas. Uh, I just got back from Central State University, Dan and I, talking to black college kids about uh, the Dobbs decision, had a debate with an ACLU guy, uh, and I went over some kids down there. How do I know? Because they came to me after the speech and told me so. Um, this is why we do what we do. The left has the captive audience. They're going to preach nonsense. Our ideas will almost always win over if we get an opportunity to get the kids a choice between the two ideas. They're always going to come over to our side. This is why I'm passionate about what we do. We've been to uh, high schools in Cleveland, colleges in Cleveland the last few years, talking to kids who normally don't hear this message. We're looking to spread this, and that's why stuff like this is important for us to do. So come join us at Uncle Tom 2 tomorrow night uh, uh, and get your tickets at blueheronmedia.us. And uh, you can go to my Facebook page, Khalid Namar, if you want more information. Um, and it's important that we keep fighting. I've been talking to people all over the state, and I met an 83-year-old man who's changing his affiliation for the first time from voting Democrat because he's upset. I met a 70-year-old woman, same thing. People are tired of the leftist nonsense. We just have to keep fighting and not get discouraged because we're going to win. Hey, Khalid, two quick things, and it's 1023, and you know the clock because you've hosted the show. I don't have a ton of time here, but give me a quick answer on this one. When you go to Central State University or any other places, do you encounter any of the type of resistance that we see in the viral videos of Ben Shapiro, Stephen Crowder, Michael Knowles, and and, and other, Matt Walsh, going on to college campuses and trying to talk to kids and convert them over to a different way of thinking? Not yet. Uh, Once once we become a bigger threat, I expect it, (laughs) and I'm welcoming it. Yeah, well, you know, you guys, you guys, you guys have just, you know, guts. Uh, and I'll use guts because of the FCC uh, to do what you do on that. Yeah. And, I, and I really, really support and appreciate and respect the heck out of you guys for doing that. So that's number one. Uh, and then number two about Uncle Tom. I interviewed Larry a couple of weeks ago about the movie, and it was phenomenal. And he dropped it on me. Then he said, "Yes, I am thinking about running for president." Uh, he said, "Regardless of whether President Trump runs or not uh, in the primary, I am thinking of challenging, even though he loves President Trump and supports him." Uh, in a primary. Well, I got a uh, an email from a listener after that who said, how about Larry consider running with Trump as his vice president? And I got to tell Ooh. you, that kind of a ticket was a phenomenal uh, eye-opener for me. So I sent that message to Larry, and Larry responded and said, believe me, I have already been thinking about that. With a big smiley face. <laughs> and, you know, that's the kind of person that Trump needs. I mean, honestly, I mean, first yeah. of all, it takes the, ra- you know, the race issue out of the equation for the left. They can't claim that, you know, pro-voter ID is an attempt to disenfranchise black voters. Why would a guy or why would a party with a black guy on the ticket want to disenfranchise black voters, number one? And, but, but number two, it, um, it, it's a guy that whose loyalty and whose common sense is beyond reproach. You don't have to worry about anybody else. You know, like, obviously, the Mike Pence situation did not end well. I just think it's the kind of person that I think would, would draw just a lot of, of people who are maybe on the fence about trying to support a, a MAGA ticket. It would bring, I think Larry Elder would bring a lot of people on board. What do you think? Well, listen, Larry is devastating. When he gets to speaking, how clear and concise he is and factual he is, he is 
devastating. He, he is what Trump needs. Trump needs a compliment. I don't think Mike Pence was that right compliment in terms of being able to communicate. But I'll tell you, if Larry ever debates Kamala Harris, it'd be like LeBron James playing one-on-one with Kevin Hart. <laughs> well done. Thank you very much, Khalid Namar. Great event. BlueHeronMedia.com for tickets tomorrow night. It's Uncle Tom, right? Dot U.S. Dot U.S. Got to clarify that. Hey, Khalid, thank you, my friend. I'll talk to you soon. Thank you, brother. Always. 1025, quick time out. Hey, we're going to talk about the gubernatorial race. And no, it's not about Mike DeWine, nor is it about Nan Whaley. But there's a third option that has emerged. We're going to talk to Marshall Usher after the news on AM 1420, The Answer. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Always right radio with Bob France on The Answer. 1036 now. We do roll onward on this Wednesday. Thanks for being with us. Great conversations thus far with guests and with callers. And we have more coming. Um, at 1110, Jack Windsor will join me. Jack and I were just texting during the break about a couple of the issues we're going to talk about. You, you're going to want to tune in. You're going to want to hear what Jack is working on for the Ohio Press Network, breaking stories that uh, are extraordinarily important, I think, to Ohioans. And I don't think. I know to Ohioans. Make sure you're tuned in for that. Let's talk about the uh, governor's race now. <clears throat> I have said this many times on the airwaves, and I will say it again now. I will not vote for Mike DeWine again. Mike DeWine, my vote for Mike DeWine the first time around in this governor's race is the vote I most regret in my entire political voting life. And I voted for Bill Clinton twice. That lets you know how I feel about Mike DeWine. Uh, I was a political neophyte. I was really an agnostic. I didn't care. I didn't really pay attention. I registered Democrat because mom and dad registered as Democrats. So I did when I was 18 and started voting Democrats like Bill Clinton. Now that I know what the hell I'm doing, I regret those very much. But not as much as I regret the vote for Mike DeWine after what he just did to us in the uh, two and a half years of COVID. He has no business whatsoever representing and leading this country again. But, of course, I would never in a million years vote for a Democrat like Nan Whaley either. So what are we to do? Leave the page blank? Or do we look for a third option? I didn't know there was a third option until recently. There is a third option. Conservative citizen candidate, a write-in candidate for Governor Marshall Usher, who joins us right now to talk about this kind of late announcement, well, late to me anyway, uh, that he is going to provide you with an option if you cannot check the box on your screen for Mike DeWine. Marshall Usher, thank you so much for joining us this morning. How are you? I'm well, Bob. Thanks for having me. Really excited to be here. Tell me who Marshall Usher is. Tell everybody who doesn't know that you are a candidate for governor a little bit about yourself. Yeah, so uh, quite simply, I am a, uh, a Christian, a patriot, a husband, and a dad. Um, you know, I, I jumped into this race um, pretty late, like you said. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you know, I, I volunteered for one of the other candidates uh, for the Joe Blystone campaign in the primary. Um, you know, whenever he was unsuccessful, I think like a lot of folks, Neil Peterson was my plan B. And, you know, whenever Neil failed to make the ballot, you know, I, we're really here to carry the baton on behalf of the 52% of conservatives who said that they were done with DeWine during the primary. Um, so uh, we really, if you look at kind of the race, how it's laying out right now, we have a communist masquerading as a Democrat, a Democrat masquerading as a Republican, and nobody was left to represent a majority of we the people. And, you know, I and, and Shannon Walker, like you, were just going to leave it blank. And uh, we searched around for a, another candidate with more money and more name recognition, 
And uh, for, you know, very valid reasons, they all said they either couldn't or wouldn't. And, you know, God has blessed us with the opportunity uh, to, and the flexibility of my day job to stand up and run. And, uh, you know, I can't be a, uh, a dad and, and a soccer coach and tell my kids to do the right thing because it's the right thing to do. And then not throw my head in the ring whenever I have the opportunity to do so. Um, and, you know, here we are. I respect that. That's, uh, that's, that's, that's a very sound explanation. Um, got to talk about your original support for Joe. Uh, I was not a fan of Joe. Uh, I found him to be, as the saying goes, all hat and no cattle. Literally, he ran on a big hat and a long beard, and uh, and it really swayed a lot of people. I didn't like the way he ran his campaign. I didn't like the way he treated people. I, I, I learned an awful lot about his expenditures and the way things were done there by some people inside. So um, that's not to, say, uh, to condemn you for supporting him, but I do want to ask you, why did you support Joe Blystone, and how much of Joe Blystone would we be voting for if we write in the name Marshall Usher? No, that's fair. And, and I'll tell you one thing. I think whenever you looked at the two you know, mainstream choices for conservatives between mm-hmm. Joe Blystone and, and Jim Renacci, mm-hmm. um, you had two diametrically different candidates, right? You had Joe Blystone, who, like you said, a lot of people saw him as a, a good leader, but there were questions about his ability to govern. Um, then you had Jim, who you know, I think his ability to govern is sound, but you know, there are some issues or some questions about you know, whether or not you know, he could inspire or, or be trusted. Uh, right, wrong, or indifferent, you know, we are we are where we are right now, and that is all united against against Mike DeWine. And you know, as far as you know, how much of the the Joe Blaston would you get? Um, you know, we have two completely different platforms. Now they are both rooted in very strong constitutional conservative values. Um, but if you look at our plan on the website usherforohio.com, you'll see it's modeled very much after what uh, Governor DeSantis has done in Florida. Uh, you know, as a coach, nobody can just adopt a another team's playbook and expect to run it successfully. So we have adopted what fits Ohio. We've adapted what doesn't fit Ohio. And, you know, I think we've come up with a very solid plan that conservatives in Ohio would, would love to support. So I, I think, you know, to answer your question directly, that's really what it came down to was, you know, we didn't have a, a great, you know, a perfect choice, I guess I should say. That perfect candidate didn't exist in the primary. And you had to choose between leader or manager. Some folks chose leader. Some folks chose manager. Um, you know, I'm not here to condemn either side, but you know, at the end of the day, um, we are. I think we can all unite behind the fact that Mike DeWine is not the answer for us. Um, I, I respect and appreciate everything you just said, and I love the idea of a candidate who is modeling, not copying, but modeling his platform after Ron DeSantis, who I think is just a phenomenal leader and a tremendous role model for a lot of other uh, conservative politicians to perhaps follow. So I respect that. But one last question about uh, about Joe Blystone. I, I've seen images floating around the Internet that the Blystone farm is up for sale for $6 million. It looks like the guy who wanted to run Ohio is about to leave Ohio. Do you know anything about that? I actually heard that, I think, uh, along with everybody else over the last couple of days. So that was uh, breaking news to me as well. Okay. I, I was just curious to see if you knew anything about that. And, again, if that, um, uh, you know, if that... I don't want to say changes your opinion of him or not, or if it changes your your mindset about uh, what kind of a governor you want to be. So let's stick with what you said about uh, about Ron DeSantis and you modeling your campaign after uh, and, and your platform after what he did. I like that. When you say you had to modify it for Ohio purposes, give me some of the differences. What are some of the things that Ron DeSantis, you know, because to me, the the obvious issue here that so many of us have with Mike DeWine is what he and Amy Acton did to the students of this of this state, to the employees of the state, to the business owners of the state, to the people of the state, to his ridiculous lotteries to take the jab, uh, scholarships to take the jab, and all of the mandates. It was just impossible. 
impossible to support. Um, Ron DeSantis did just the opposite. Like everybody else, they had a quick lockdown at the beginning. He immediately re- realized that's a mistake, and that's not the way to do it. He opened up Florida almost before anybody else in the country opened up their states. So, you know, they're, they're very different in the way things have been done. What do you see from Ron DeSantis that you want to modify for Ohio? So there's a couple things. I mean, first, I'd, let's talk a little bit about what we can adopt directly. Okay. Um, you know, I think one thing is the the plan that he has around attracting law enforcement into the state of Ohio and veterans. You know, he wants to make or, uh, Florida a, a destination state, and that's exactly what we want to do here. We've got a tremendous opportunity to attract really good law enforcement officers that are fleeing these woke cities. And uh, you know, one of the programs that I love is the one run by the First Lady. It's called Extending the Mission, where they're giving flexible employment opportunities to veterans or you know, retired veterans in law enforcement to serve as CPS workers, case investigators, and child advocates. I uh, can't think of a better group of folks to have at the tip of the spear. Uh, but as far as some of the things that you know, we would have to change, you know, Florida has a lot, a, a much different economic driver than Ohio. You know, they've got a tremendous amount of tourism, so they focus a, a lot of money on you know, enhancing beaches and, and tourism opportunities. Um, that's something that we also have a, a tremendous number of assets across the state from, you know, Lake Erie down to the, the waterfronts on the rivers, uh, you know, the beautiful mountains that we have. So, you know, looking at how they have focused on growing tourism, growing those dollars coming into the state is something that we can absolutely take a lead from, but would have to be, you know, adapted to fit the assets that we have to offer. Marshall, is this your first foray into politics? <laughs> it is. Um, you know, I, I still have a day job. Um, like a lot of folks, I was late to the plate. Uh, really started getting involved whenever uh, a guy named Donald Trump came down the escalator and, and kicked open the door on national politics. Really got me paying attention. And, you know, that's really how I got involved with Joe is I met him at the, uh, the Trump rally in Lorraine. And, you know, next thing I know, I checked him out and said, it's a pl- platform I can really support. And, uh, the rest, as they say, is history. But I've never run for public office. Um, don't, Never, you know, don't plan on becoming a politician. Uh, you know, I want to run to give, to represent the people. And, you know, if we catch lightning in a bottle and, and they put us in Columbus, then it would be the honor of a, a lifetime to serve. Uh, but I think like the founders intended, I would serve and then go back to, to you know, private life. Um, you know, the Here's fact that we I, have public servants that serve, you know, 40 plus years is not, not what this country is built on. Not at all. Uh, the reason I asked is because you sound seasoned. You 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 are more you are smoother and more articulate uh, than than many candidates who have been around for fifteen or twenty years. Uh, and 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 you you present really really well. That's the reason I asked if you've ever done this before. So so you don't want to be a politician, but you do want to help help the state and rescue the state uh, and serve. What would you do if you uh, if you became the governor of the state when it comes to learning the ins and outs of Columbus, learning how to deal with a, you know, a legislative body, the General Assembly, in order to get the things done that you would have on this platform? Yeah, so I'm, I'm not, a, a, I guess, a political neophyte in terms of it. I've seen how the sausage is made. Um, you know, I've worked okay. for Rolls-Royce. I've worked for NetJets in director-level positions. So you know, I've, I'm not afraid of large organizations, large budgets, and presenting in front of large people or large groups of people. Um, but, you know, in terms of learning how the, the government works, um, you know, at NetJets, I had an opportunity to, uh, to help try to bring an aerospace maintenance uh, center of excellence to the state of Ohio. And I worked with some representatives from the governor's office, some representatives from Jobs Ohio. And um, I will tell you that, you know, looking at how to leverage some of the underutilized assets like Youngstown Airport, um, like the you know, Pittsburgh Institute of Aeronautics that we have a uh, branch campus in Ohio for. One of the best 
you know, best aircraft maintenance schools in, in the world. Uh, we have a, a lot of opportunity. And what I found for that process was it has little to do with the merit of the idea. It has a lot to do with who around the table is shaking their head and what directions. And, you know, again, once you have seen the problem, if you, you've got two choices, you can sit back and decide to do nothing and be part of the problem, or you can do something about it. So you know, once I kind of saw how that how that process works and um, you know some of the reasons that decisions are made or not made, uh, just kind of left a bad taste in my mouth. And then having the opportunity to stand up and do something about it, uh, you know, was was very appealing. We're talking to Marshall Usher. He is a write-in candidate, uh, a conservative write-in candidate for governor of the state of Ohio. <clears throat> We're learning a little bit more about his policies, about his platform, about his conservatism, about what he's learned from his experience with Joe, with, uh, Joe Blystone. Uh, it's kind of funny. I'm looking, and I want to call people's attention when they get a chance to go to your website, which is usherforohio.com, to the Sunshine Plan for Ohio, 10 pillars. And I have to ask, is the Sunshine Plan meaning is in Sunshine Laws and Transparency, or is that a reference to your, um, your, your emulating the Florida plans? So I, I will tell you, you're the first one to pick up on both of those intricacies. Yes, and yes. Uh, it is a, a model of Florida, and yes, I mean, if you look at that last pillar, first off, you know, this conservative platform is, is very straightforward, and you would think that in a state with a supermajority of Republicans that it's a, a no-brainer to implement a lot of these policies. So you have to ask yourself, why hasn't that happened? And I would argue it's because of that 10th pillar, because our, our state government is controlled by big businesses and special interests. And so, yes, that is the second part of the Sunshine Plan is shining a light on all of that corruption. That's uh, that's important. It's extremely important because I don't trust uh, a lot of uh, a lot of the leaders we have. I'm a Republican and I'm a conservative, and I'm ashamed of the Ohio Republican Party in many ways. I don't trust a lot of what happens in Columbus. Uh, we do need more transparency. We need it at the party level. We need it at the state level. So, uh, I hope a commitment from you to that uh, will will go a long way toward consi- uh, convincing people to to write your name in. Uh, to that end, uh, Marshall, you know the long shot that you are. Uh, I mean, a write-in is a long shot anytime, particularly one who enters this late, and particularly somebody who's going into a, a race to try to take down a guy who's got a 25-point lead. I think I heard 25-point lead is what DeWine has over Whaley. So enough conservative Republicans or whatever are willing to forgive Mike DeWine for what he did. I know you're not. Uh, and neither am I. But like I said, this is the long shot of all long shots to try to convince them to flip away and come to you. What what message do you have uh, to those voters who have already said, I'm a DeWine voter? It, it absolutely is a long shot. And I guess the first message would be, you know, I'm a, a business guy. I'm, I'm a math guy. So I wouldn't have jumped into this if I thought that I would do nothing more than give the state to a liberal. Um, you know, this is not a regular cycle. You know, we've never had two historically bad candidates. Uh, we've never had a Republican candidate coming off of uh, – you know, behavior that we have seen from from the incumbent over the last few years. So it's not a regular year. And, yeah, he's got a huge lead. But I think the important number there is there's a 9% that's still undecided. If you look at the real clear politics average, um, that's about 450,000 votes. So, you know, that's 100,000 less than what all three conservative candidates got in the primary election. So just putting that in perspective, right, um, we think that there's going to be about 5 million votes cast and if we would get all 450,000 of those undecideds, we would still need 850,000 from Mike DeWine to split the vote and give it to Whaley, or 1.4 million puts us over the top. So the total vote count in all of the primary was 1.6 million. So the reason I bring this up is there's really two takeaways, right? One is there is oceans of space to vote your conscience. 
And two, if even half the people that write us in um, know in their heart of hearts that this administration cares more about their pocketbooks than the people, then the momentum that will be built will win it for conservatives walking away. Um, you know, if we hit that, that critical mass, then there's nothing that will stop us that, you know, that second week in November. Marshall, um, I haven't asked you much about issues. I just wanted to get to know you and introduce you and your platform, Big Picture, to to the um, listeners and, and to Ohio voters. But I'm going to ask you one question about an issue before we go, because I think if there's anything that can fire up Ohio voters, particularly Ohio conservatives, and make them turn and look your way, away from Mike DeWine, uh, it would be what's going on in our schools. Um, the Ohio Board of Education... The Ohio uh, just had a resolution put forth uh, a couple of weeks ago by Brendan Shea, which essentially would tell uh, Ohio school districts, we are not adopting, and you do not have to adopt the federal changes to Title IX because it is going to be dangerous for kids. It's going to be dangerous for girls. It's going to be unfair for them uh, in a variety of ways. Mike DeWine, just six years ago as Attorney General, spoke very much against, spoke out very much against similar types of changes to federal education uh, laws. Um, he pushed back against bathroom bills, said we're not going to do that in the state of Ohio. He was a real stalwart champion uh, for you know recognizing the differences between boys and girls and not allowing this type of stuff to go on in Ohio schools. Now as governor, he has said nothing. He's got nine appointed board members that he could influence by saying we are pushing back against this. He has said nothing. So here's my chance for you to connect with a whole bunch of conservative parents. How do you feel about those changes to Title IX and the ongoing attempt to indoctrinate rather than educate kids from preschool all the way up through their senior years of high school in Ohio? So thanks for bringing this up and giving me the opportunity to, to address this. Uh, first off, I absolutely support Brendan Shea's resolution. Let's let's start there. Um, you know, I'm a I'm a dad of a six year old daughter. I don't want her to have to compete against biological males in sports or or have to worry about biological males in, in the restroom. And you you, know, you talked about how. Um, well, first off, I and I heard your uh, your interview with Amy Kissinger, and uh, you know, kudos to her for carrying this torch. Yeah. Um, she is a, an absolute you know, conservative warrior, and we're lucky to have someone like her on our side and, and involved in our schools. Uh, but you know, the only thing that has really changed with Mike DeWine's stance on this is who his handlers are. You know, the a few years ago it was it was in vogue to push back against it. Now with a liberal administration in the White House, it suddenly isn't. And you know, we have seen Mike DeWine run to the left after the Dayton shootings um, and push red flag laws, and then he ran to the right to sign constitutional carry. So whichever way the wind is blowing is the way that he's going to stand. And I think we are finally starting to see through that, and we're starting to build that critical mass of conservatives to say that's enough. Yeah, I talked to Jim Jordan about that today, bigger picture nationally, and he pointed out, you know, this is this is why Glenn Youngkin is the governor of Virginia. There was no way he was going to be the governor of Virginia, Virginia until they did so many radical things with their schools that parents went crazy, and they just went out and they fought and they fought and they fought and, they fought and uh, eventually uh, gave Glenn Youngkin the victory. And I think that's what it's going to take here. We need somebody who's going to fight and who's going to stand up like this and get parents behind them. I'm not saying, again, that this is going to be an even race. It's still a very big long shot. But if you if you can rally and unify Ohio parents in the next 20 days or 19 days who are concerned about what's going on in their schools, you might have a shot at this. 
Oh, okay. I was just told that his phone dropped right at the end of the conversation. So I'll wrap it up this way. Um, there's on the bottom of his website, <clears throat> at the very bottom, you're going to see uh, um, uh, a question of how you can write in his name. I think it's right at the very bottom. Uh, how you can write in his name. These are instructions for writing in uh, a candidate. And um, what you do is... No, it's, I guess it's not at the bottom. I apologize. Oh, here it is. It, you know what? It's actually, he's got a drop down at the top of the page as well. This is what I was looking for. How to vote for a write-in. When you go to the polls on November 8th, ask for the list of approved write-in candidates when you get there. Then you locate the empty space for a write-in candidate on the governor and lieutenant governor ballot. And then you just type in the name on your uh, screen, Marshall Usher and Shannon Walker. Exactly as it appears on the list that you've been given. Ask a poll worker for assistance if you need it, but that's what has to happen in order for every write-in vote to count. Uh, and, of course, he's going to need every single write-in vote to count in order to make this happen. Uh, but there are instructions. You can find those on the website at usherforohio.com, usherforohio.com. Johnny, did we pick him back up? Yep. Oh, you're back, Marshall? I am, okay. I am. I guess that'll teach us to talk about Joe Biden and the, uh, and the governor. Uh, yeah, uh, you know, it's 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 kind of funny. That, that is what happens. Uh, I, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna. Well, that's just funny, and we'll leave it there. Uh, but Marshall, I, I think it's great. And the last thing I was saying to you when I before I realized you had dropped was you're still a long shot. But if you can do something to rally Ohio's parents against this nonsense that is happening all over this state in the schools uh, affecting their children. Um, you'll still be a long shot, but you might have a shot at this. That is an issue that I think is really one that you can rally people with. That's for sure. And you know, we've been to a couple of events in downtown Cleveland, and you know, we, we all want the same things, regardless of what neighborhood you're in, the color of your skin, how much money you have in your pocketbook. We all want the same things. We want good schools, safe communities, and we want representatives that, that are there for us, not for themselves. And you know, we don't have that choice for the governor's race until you know, Shannon and I decided to throw our names in. So really well, appreciate the chance to get our name out. No, I'm, I'm glad to have you. And, in fact, let's have you back on again maybe the first week of November uh, uh, or your know, first few days of November, I should say, in advance of the actual election day because I want people to know that there is an alternative out there. Uh, and I certainly hope that people who are listening right now can share your name uh, all over their social media, use emails or whatever they can so that people know there is another alternative here to Mike DeWine. Uh, Marshall Usher, thank you for the time. I appreciate it very much. Thanks for stepping in when a lot of people would not. That's what we need is people to step up here and give us a chance. Uh, regardless of how it turns out, you're, you're taking a risk here, and we appreciate that very much. Thank you. Well, I appreciate your help, Bob. Thanks again. You got it. Marshall Usher for Ohio, online at usherforohio.com, usherforohio.com. By the way, if you think I'm kidding when I say it's happening all over this state, then you need to listen to Jack Windsor in the conversation I've got coming up after the news. Jack Windsor has just put together a huge piece for the Ohio Press Network about massive school districts doing extraordinarily dangerous things to kids in defiance of parents. Uh, Jack is just a, a warrior on this, and he's a journalistic warrior, and he's going to tell you those stories coming up after the news on Always Right Radio, AM 1420, The Answer. This hour of Always Right Radio is brought to you by The Floor King and Keeping Medicare Simple. You and I know and do not believe that life is so dear and peace so sweet as to be purchased at the price of chains and slavery. If nothing in life is worth dying for, when did this begin? Just in the face of this enemy? Or should Moses have told the children of Israel to live in slavery under the pharaohs? Should Christ have refused the cross? 
Should the patriots at Concord Bridge have thrown down their guns and refused to fire the shot heard round the world? The martyrs of history were not fools. And our honored dead, who gave their lives to stop the advance of the Nazis, didn't die in vain. Where then is the road to peace? Well, it's a simple answer after all. You and I have the courage to say to our enemies, there is a price we will not pay. There is a point beyond which they must not advance. This is Always Right Radio with Bob Frantz on AM 1420, The Answer. Hour number three underway now at nine minutes past 11 o'clock on a Wednesday, the 18th, or excuse me, 19th morning of the 10th month of the year of our Lord, 2022. Before I get started with this segment, I just want to give uh, some kudos to uh, our man, Johnny Hiles, who is running this show. He's my producer, technical producer, uh, and um, I get compliments from listeners all the time, not always on the air, but on uh, messaging and emails and so forth. Uh, talking about how well-produced this show is. They love the opens. They love the Reagan drops that we put in, the music, the way that it goes, the themed music during segments that we do. So uh, just, uh, just a, a little shout-out, a little thank you to Johnny Hines. Can you dig it? Because I do. It fires me up. It fires me up to hear Reagan at the top of the third hour, the uh, the uh, kind of the uh, compilation of audio uh, uh, clips from American patriots and heroes in years gone by at the start of the show. It fires me up, and the music is perfect, and I just ready to rock and roll every single time. So I second the emotion of a lot of those listeners. We just have a, a real pro doing our job for us here. So thank you, Johnny. Uh, all right, let's... Um, Let's dive into this. I told you we had a lot to talk about with Jack Windsor, who is the uh, editor and the founder of the and reporter does it all for the Ohio Press Network. He also continues to be our state house correspondent um, in Columbus. Jack Windsor uh, joins us once again for his regular Wednesday commentary on AM 1420. The answer. Hey, Jack, what's going on? Hey, Bob. Uh, good to hear your voice this morning. Thanks for choosing me. Thanks for uh, for the work you're doing, Jack. Normally, when I introduce a topic and I ask a question of an interview guest. I like to set it up. I like to, you know, kind of discuss the background a little bit and then and then you know use that as a launch into the first question. But the work you have put in here on the story of Ohio schools being transparent with parents and taxpayers on their transgender policies is so in depth. I don't think I can summarize it enough to ask an intelligent question because there's just too much work here. I think the best thing for me to do is to get out of the way and let you present on some of the largest school districts in Ohio and some of the uh, extraordinary information that you've uncovered about what they're doing to our kids without parents' knowledge uh, as it pertains to transgender policies in Title IX. So I'm going to step out of the way and let you roll here for a bit. If I, if I want to interrupt you, I will. Don't take offense to it. But if I have a follow-up as you go, that's where I will start. That sounds perfect, Bob. Thank you. So the question that we asked, after um, doing a lot of research, is are Ohio schools being transparent with parents and taxpayers on transgender policies? And since President Joe Biden tried to include gender identity and sexual orientation in federal Title IX protections, schools have allowed students to use opposite-sex bathrooms, play sports, dress according to their gender identity, as their policies aren't clear on the matters. That's important because a lot of parents are surprised when they find out that something's going on in schools um, that they can't seem to find a policy to correspond to online. So let me just tee it up this way. Ohio's fifth largest school district 
circulated transgender guidelines to principals in 2021, telling them they should direct staff to start a conversation with students as early as kindergarten if they notice the students showing, quote, a possible gender identity expression that is misaligned with their gender assigned at birth that is disruptive to their education. In the same school district, an eight-year-old student came home last spring and told her mom, Mom, today something weird happened. We went in to use the bathroom, and there was a little boy dressed as a girl. So we received those anecdotal bits of information. One of them we had actually reported on before. And those two things happened inside Olentangy Local School District, which is in Delaware County, which is where I live. We also received information from Dublin City Schools parents there, um, where one fourth grade teacher last year had her students stand up at the beginning of the year and tell everyone their preferred pronouns. So we're talking about eight, nine-year-old students. And parents were stunned to learn that. We got information. Hold on a second. Hold on a second, Jack. Um, you, you kind of beat me to it there. Um, when did parents learn that happened? Were they informed ahead of time that this was going to be done and they were stunned, or they were stunned to find out from their students after the fact that this was done? Bob, I wish that question was easy to answer. It's not. That really is the heart of this report. Parents are learning as they go along. In the case that we just talked about, the student in Dublin alerted a parent, and the parent's going, well, wait a minute, hold on, let me contact the school. And that's where things get really muddy. What we've learned, by and large, is that two things are going on. Some districts do have the policies posted online that are very clear. Other school districts that we looked into have policies online that are ambiguous. In almost all situations, schools are saying to parents, hey, our policies are online. When they ask specific questions like, is, is my daughter going to see a boy in the restroom? Will she have to change with a boy or vice versa? Can a boy compete in my daughter's sports program? And if you have a conversation with my kid about their gender expression or sexual orientation, am I included first or is that information kept from me? In one district, the legal guidance, and by the way, two districts that we researched, I'm sorry, three districts, had have legal guidance that seem to be driving what's going on in the schools, but the, the specificity of what's in those legal documents isn't necessarily posted online. And if it is, it's really hard to unearth. But what, what one school district uh, received legal advice on was the issue of outing a student. And students in uh, 6th grade, through 12th. So how old are students in sixth grade, Bob? 11, 12? Yeah, 11. Okay. So 11-year-olds, according to the legal guidance that we received, we obtained, we reviewed, it explicitly says that staff members are not to out a student to a parent. They're there to have a conversation with the student. And when the student feels comfortable, the school district with a counselor and with the appropriate accommodations and preparations can communicate with the parents. 
those are some of the consistencies that we found. Um, now, they're all over the board. We looked at, like I said, um, Olentangy Local School District, Hilliard City Schools, Dublin City Schools, and um, I believe it was Brunswick City Schools, um, which is a little closer to your area, so we're talking about northeastern Ohio. We received an email exchange between a concerned parent who emailed a principal in that district, a middle school principal, and the email from the concerned parent said that um, he didn't think that the school should be teaching transgender and sexual identity stuff in schools. Uh, the principal, uh, Susan Palchesco, responded that a student's gender identity is considered private and protected and attached legal guidance the school received from its legal team at Squire, Patton, and Boggs. And then Palchesco also sent an email to staff in October 2021 advising that a student can be called what the student wishes. The email says, don't call parents and alert them. Do work with the counselors to offer the student a safe environment to share information with parents when the student is ready and willing and feeling safe to do so. Do encourage your staff to be respectful and let them know they need to respect the wishes of the student. Now, Bob, together, Olin, Tangy, Dublin, Hilliard, and Brunswick instruct about 60,000 Ohio students. I, I made sure to spell out at the end of this article, which you said is extremely in-depth. Ohio has about 600 school districts and instructs about 1.6 million students. We didn't investigate those other districts. I can't tell you whether they're similar or different in the application interpretation of Joe Biden's Title IX extension uh, as to what's going on in Olentangy, Dublin, Hilliard, and Brunswick. And by the way, we don't really know what's going on in those school districts. I made requests. I asked direct questions. And oftentimes the answer was, well, those, the answers to those questions are online in the policy. All right. That's a lot of information, <clears throat> uh, and I appreciate every bit of it, by the way. I'm, uh, I'm blown away by a couple of things I just want to follow up on before we get into the OEA, which you also wrote about, the Education Association, the teachers' unions, who, of course, are involved with the NEA, the National Education Association. Two things. You started out talking about in the, I think it was the uh, Old and Tangy schools, um, about a possible, ge- uh, staff should start a conversation with students as early as kindergarten, age five or six, if they notice the student showing a possible gender identity expression that is misaligned with their gender. Um, does that mean if a little boy is playing with a doll, now he's probably a girl, and we need to start talking with his undeveloped five-year-old impressionable mind, talking about whether or not he thinks he's a girl. Did I hear that right? Bob, you heard it right. If a little girl no. is out there playing football in, in at recess or kickball and is really good at it and kicks the ball further than the boys, which, by the way, girls often do because they develop physically faster than boys, but if she looks really like a male athlete and is dominating the males, the staff should have a conversation, a private conversation, with that student to see, are you sure you're a girl? Are you sure you're not a boy? Do you ever have feelings like maybe you're a boy, that you're in the wrong body? This is the guidance that they're starting with in the fifth largest school district in the state of Ohio. I heard that right, didn't I? You did. Now, let me, I, I need to caveat that because the instruction 
the legal instruction indicates that that conversation can be had if the gender expression is disruptive. So it has to be misaligned and it has to be disruptive. Well, I didn't see in the guideline a definition of those things. And I think the important question that needs to be asked is misaligned, misaligned according to whose worldview? Well, I think I think the two examples I just gave. I think the two examples I just gave: the boy playing with a doll and a girl doing sports at a very young age um, would be quote misaligned with their gender because the typical gender expression is that the girls play with the Barbie dolls in the dream house and the boys play with the army army rangers and army uh, figures Uh, and then they go out there and they play aggressive sports things with you. That's the typical boy girl. Uh, dynamic. And so if they're doing the opposite, then it is misaligned. And Jack, the reason why you couldn't find definitions of disruptive or misaligned is because they don't want it defined. They want it to be up to the teacher's judgment. And, and, and the teachers then will be able to carry on these conversations with the child without parental knowledge, which brings me to the second one. Now that was old and tangy. The second one that, that just made me, my eyes, eyebrows raise was the Dublin one in which they described mm-hmm. that a student's conversation uh, about gender identity and gender expression. No, I'm sorry, it's Brunswick. I'm sorry, I think it was the Brunswick one. I'm getting them all mixed up here because you covered four of them. I think it was the Brunswick one who said, uh, it's private, um, which means that it's the none of the parents' business. It's private. Well, if it's private, why is a teacher or a school counselor or anybody else having conversations with these kids about their potential gender expression being off or their gender identity being off, if it's so private, parents can't talk to them, but school officials who are not their caregivers and not their biological parents, they're allowed to have that private conversation with them, but the parents are not? How the hell does that work? It's interesting, right? And, you know, the the part I think that... um is an issue for our readers, people who we've received feedback from, is that it was a whistleblower in the district who alerted Protect Ohio Children Coalition, and I know you're familiar with them. Very uh, much John so. and Diane Stover uh, do fantastic work, and, you know, they've gone out and said, we're the watchdog. We're watching. And they've established themselves as a place where parents, uh, taxpayers, and, you know, whistleblowers from inside districts can uh, send information and it was uh, through that relationship, you know, whistleblower with the Protect Ohio Children Coalition, that some of this information came out. And, again, the issue that we're hearing repeatedly from our readers is that, look, this is something that you need to be completely clear about. And I'll tell you why it's frustrating, I believe. This is, this is opinion, okay? Um, when I tried to communicate with the executive director of human resources at city schools. Uh, I let that gentleman know that I had obtained a copy of the Dublin city schools legal update, LGBTQIA and students rights from June, 2021. And I asked the question, are your policies aligned with every single one of the things contained in that legal update? And his response in essence was, well, some of our policies have changed since the legal update. Our board policies are included on our website. And then he sent me a screen grab with no link, with no indication of you know where he grabbed that screenshot. And I spent about 30 minutes poking around on the website. And I thought, you know what? I probably, as an investigative-minded person, could figure this out eventually. 
But just go go at it from a parent's vantage point. How easy is that to find? So I responded and I said, look, you didn't give me a link to go back to that website where you said that this information was contained. So let me ask very directly, does the district have a policy or practice that allows a student or parent to request support or accommodations regarding a student's gender identity? If so, does that request result in a meeting called by a principal or district designee to discuss the, in re, uh, the request? And does the first meeting include parents? Does the student have a say in whether parents or guardians are involved? And is it the policy or practice of the district to maintain final authority in determining accommodations or support for the student's gender identity if there's no compromise or consent from the parents or guardians? And what factors determine this? Because that is what it says in the legal update, that essentially at the end of the day, if there's no compromise, the district decides how they're going to treat the, the student and, and their gender expression. He didn't respond, Bob. Didn't respond. Said a week and a half, has not responded to those direct questions. This is um, this is unbelievable. Real quick, Jack, we're already past our time, and I want to add two other topics to talk about you. You want to hang after the news? Yeah, brother. We had two, two other topics to get to that are very important. But super quick on this one, the Ohio Education Association. The role mm-hmm. of the teachers' unions, I think, in establishing these policies. Now, we need to talk to the administrators, obviously. You're trying to talk to administrators. I, and I'll tell you right now, Johnny, Marianne, Marcy, uh, we want to talk to people like Susan, uh, what's her name in Brunswick, Pelchesco, uh, the middle Pelchesco, school principal yeah. there. Yeah, about all this stuff. Uh, I mean, we're going to do our best. But it's not just the administrators, and it's not just government officials changing things like Title IX. So much of this is driven by the OEA. So much is driven by the NEA, the National Education mm-hmm. Association, which is pushing this thing first and foremost, I think. Uh, what's their role? Well, you know, the Ohio Education Association represents about 121,000 teachers, and the National Education Association is the largest labor union in the country. They have about 3 million members. So those people have money that go from their paychecks to those uh, union coffers, and those union coffers fund a lot of things. Um, OEA uh, has representation in all the districts that we covered in the story, Olentangy, Dublin, Hilliard, and Brunswick, according to the OEA spokesperson. And, um, you know, their role is a, a couple of things. Number one, um, they provide uh, mandatory teacher training and they provide resources for voluntary teacher training. Well, we know that some of the mandatory teacher training um, it details LGBTQ plus youth and how to deal with these Title IX changes. Um, interestingly, um, one of the things that we received from a Dublin parent uh, showed a screen grab of um, materials that teachers were given for instruction. And in there, it indicated, it stated that it's not the teacher's job to out the student. Well, when that mom got that screen grab, she then made a record request of, uh, for the information from the district and the re- and the information that she received from her record request, in her words, conveniently left out that line. Um, she insinuated that they may have erased it. But teachers are getting instruction on how to handle these conversations. What do you do if parents object? How do you protect the students' rights? Um, and the other thing that they're getting, um, we list a video in the article, um, you know, they're getting a lot of education on um sex acts that don't get a lot of play. Um, you know, those are the things that the LGBTQ caucus at the NEA are providing teachers. This is incredible. <clears throat> uh, you know, I wish I was going to be alive in 200 years so that when I see the history written of this age of our culture, uh, I would like to see how they define it and describe it. Because we are, we are in seriously historic times right now. 
devastatingly destructive historic times. Um, and I don't think that's hyperbolic. I think it's absolutely accurate. It's 11.28. Jack, I need a news break here. We're going to come back. We're going to get your thoughts on the Senate debate that was held on Monday between J.D. Vance and Tim Ryan and maybe one other quickie. Uh, last segment to come after the news with Windsor on AM 1420, The Answer. Celebrating 100 years in Cleveland. WHK. This hour of Always Right Radio is brought to you by Keeping Medicare Simple and The Floor King. Okay, 11.38, one more segment with Jack Windsor, the uh, founder and editor and lead writer for the Ohio Press Network. Jack, you and your team at OPN have been doing uh, a lot of great work covering the Senate race between J.D. Vance and Tim Ryan. Uh, The latest debate, the second of two, was in Youngstown on Monday. Donald Trump Jr., who, of course, the son of the man who endorsed J.D. Vance in this race, former President 45, Donald J. Trump, uh, tweeted that this 52-second clip ended Tim Ryan's political career. Let's give this a listen and see if you agree. Thank you, we have a. So the, we have a. Hold on, JD. Stop no, this is me. this is disgusting. I'd like to get here, here's more. exactly what happens when the media and people like Tim Ryan accuse me of engaging the great great replacement theory. I'll tell you, you exactly. It. I'll you tell you exactly what happens, Tim. What happens is that my own children, my biracial <laughs> children, get attacked by scumbags online and in person because you are so desperate for political power that you'll accuse me, the father of three beautiful biracial babies, of engaging in racism. We are sick of it. You can believe in a border without being a racist. You can believe in the the country without being a racist. And this just shows how desperate this guy is for political power. I know you've been in office for 20 years, Tim, and I know it's a sweet gig, but you're so desperate not to have a real job that you'll slander me and slander my family. It's disgraceful. We have a- so there you have it. Uh, again, Donald Trump Jr. said that was the, the knockout punch that ended Tim Ryan in this race and maybe his political career. Jack Windsor, you analyze it how? Well, I will tell you this is opinion, um, and we'll dive into some of the other things. But I looked at Whitney at that point, and I said, finish him. It was a Mortal Kombat <laughs> moment. Um, you know, Bob, you and I talked previously about J.D. Vance being um, composed cool-headed and professional and uh, how he probably could have been a little more aggressive in the first debate. It went out the window there. And uh, what I saw was a man who was, uh, I don't even know if he was frustrated. I I genuinely believe that was uh, bubbling up inside of him. um, Emotion about being called a racist, um, about being tied to this um, great replacement theory and well, let me, let me let me yep, let me add yep. to that, Jack. Before you continue, let me add to that. What happened right after that uh, was Tim Ryan said, "It looks like I've touched a nerve," as if that's like a, yep. a winning thing here that I've got him flustered. JD's response to that was equally epic. He said, "You're darn right when you call me and my children and my family and you attack us uh, as being racist when I've got biracial children. You children, you better believe that touches a nerve." That was a human yeah. moment, a protective dad moment that I thought was huge too. Go ahead. I do, and I, I agree with you. And I think he even—I think he even said—that's how normal people respond when you attack their families. Um, so, you know, let's take a look at what the voters care about. If you go over to Axios, which I think is—is is, you know, um, 
a good place where I think people maybe left the center like to go. And you look at the total um, composite of what people are searching and what they care about. They care about inflation, taxes, wages, jobs, crime, gas prices, unemployment, border immigration, Russia and China, and then abortion. And what the candidates were asked about, this isn't the complete list, but right. inflation, uh, Vance being a Trump butt kisser and Ryan in love with Pelosi, abortion, uh, January 6th, problem. January 6th, great replacement theory and threats to democracy. So sometimes there's a misalignment between what voters are, you know, feeling, what they're dealing with and what they want solutions on and what gets asked in these debates. Uh, Here's what we're going to look into. J.D. Vance said that Tim's Ryan, Tim Ryan's campaign uh, has blood money from uh, pharmaceuticals. Uh, I, the AP actually already stated that he's received tens of thousands of dollars from drug, drug companies. But we're going to fact check that. We're going to fact check um, whether Tim Ryan supported stripping police of qualified immunity, whether he votes with Pelosi 100% of the time, um, whether the man who raped the 10-year-old girl was an illegal immigrant, uh, Ryan's actual voting record um, and whether he's supported abortion without limits up to 40 weeks because Vance did make that claim. Um, and did Ryan vote for a piece of legislation that would prevent doctors from providing care to babies who, who survived botched abortions um, and, and some others? And then things that uh, we're going to check into on Tim Ryan, um, or excuse me, uh, that Tim Ryan said was, you know, Vance started a fake nonprofit to benefit people who were uh, on opiates and uh, that Vance called Alex Jones, one of the most credible news sources in the country, that he's made money on off companies that invest in foreign workers. That one appears to be uh, potentially uh, uh, our preliminary research uh, tied to maybe stock that he owns in um, Walmart and, you know, Walmart gets uh, products from China. But we're going to look deeper into that. Um, and that Vance raised money for people who stormed the Capitol, and that Peter Thiel said, or Peter Thiel said, that we have to let democracy die. So we're going to fact check all of those. Um, so you ask me what I think. My analysis is this: if you listen to it, it was probably one thing. Um, although I will say I don't think um, personal personal preference. I don't think Tim Ryan's you know high pitched nasally voice does real well. Uh, JD JD kind of has this stern you know sound to him. But when you watched it. Uh, man, oh man, Shabbos. Um, if, if, there, if you were to ask me who the person is that spent 20 years in, in the legislature and who, who was vying for a new position, I would guess the opposite because the way that J.D. Vance was able to talk uh, with nuanced details about certain pieces of legislation and about certain events going on around the world, at, at points throughout, I looked at Tim Ryan, but was completely lost on stage. Yeah, I saw a lot of that, too, um, and J.D. did. It's weird. Um, you know, I think you said this off the air to me, too, that Tim Ryan's been in politics for 20 years. He's been in many campaigns, uh, yet J.D. is the one who looks like he's been in the Senate. He looks like he belongs there. It looks like he was. he's more composed and more comfortable in answering the questions, better grasp of the issues, didn't accuse the other guy of being responsible for the shooting death of people in a grocery in Buffalo simply because they want the border controlled. Uh, you know, those things matter. J.D., we're out, uh, uh, Jack Windsor, we're out of time. Thanks very much, my friend. I'll talk to you soon. Everyone, have a great 
Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.